Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to this week's Artscast. I'm Jan Daly, the FT's Arts Editor, and three of the FT's finest are with me today. Nicola Copping, Deputy Fashion Editor, John Lloyd, Television Columnist, and Peter Aspen, Arts Writer. And the reason for this particular assembly is that Peter's written a column which is um, making people quite cross and quite happy simultaneously. He's taken on the issue of Mad Men. He starts, starts his column by saying that the cultural bore of the autumn is the lover of Mad Men, etc., etc. Peter, tell us about um, why you decided to attack this programme that we all love so much. Well, I, um, I've never felt quite such a party pooper in my life, um, and I do feel a little bit guilty, I have to say, about it, because Mad Men is clearly a superior television programme. It's beautifully written and beautifully performed and has a lot of class and quality about it. My problem with it is twofold, really. Um, I thought it was a brilliant idea to set it at the time, firstly, and that uh, that cusp between the 50s and 60s, a really interesting, fertile time, um, reminded me of one of my favourite movies from the 80s, Barry Levinson's Diner. Um, also, you get this sense of things changing, and, and, and it's a very interesting time. Uh, but I was a little bit concerned by people in the office, people around, saying, did you see Mad Men? And instead of talking about what was going on and the characters and the personalities, they did become a little bit obsessed by this style thing, by the suits and the skinny ties and the curvaceous secretaries. And and it was just it just made me a little bit uneasy about the whole thing. And um, the second thing that worried me was we, we've just started the fourth series, I believe, in the UK here, and things don't seem to have moved very far. And we're supposed to be at 1964-5, and to me nothing much has changed since that first series. And I'm a little bit concerned that maybe the makers of the programme got a little bit too in love with their own sense of style and forgot to move things forward. And the mid-60s was an incredible, clamorous time, and I'd like to see a little bit more of that reflected in the programme. John, do you think they failed to move it forward? No, I think I think Peter's wrong. I mean, one, I think it's great that the, that the piece was written, because I think, especially with Mad Men, because uh, Peter's absolutely right, everybody goes around saying, what a fantastic series, and did you see, and so on. So it's very good to have that, because you then hold up to the light your own assumptions about it, your own conversation about it. Um, have I just fallen into a, the trap of, of agreeing with the, the common view? So it's good that he wrote that and it's good that one thinks of it. But I think he's wrong about it not having moved forward because I think in this series what's happened to the central character, to Don Draper, is that he's moved into an even lower circle of hell. He's left his wife 
Uh, he doesn't see his kids very often. He sometimes actually gets so plastered, as he has done recently, that he doesn't wake up in time to see his kids on a uh, previously arranged appointment. Uh, he lives in a rather run-down apartment block. He sleeps around quite wildly. Uh, he's becoming... And he's less successful than he was. He's no longer the man who, who immediately thinks of the right idea and immediately wows the clients. He misses some tricks, and he's beginning to cause some worry among his colleagues. So the... That's moved a good deal from what seemed initially in the first series in, in the, 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 the the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect kids, quickly revealed is not that, but still that was the image that he was able to present. Now, increasingly, he presents an image of a man who really is drinking too much, beginning to fail a bit and beginning to show a kind of inner moroseness. So I think it has moved on. As indeed has the the company, the the the, the group of ad men have come out of the old company and formed a new one, and are in a kind of a, a new space. They're much more entrepreneurial, having to be much more entrepreneurial, tout for work more than they used to, and that can be quite poignant. As when uh, Roger, the one of the partners, had to dress up, was ordered to dress up as Santa Claus by their by their principal client, Lucky Strike who was 70% of their business and who overrode his objections to being Santa Claus and you then realised that he had no choice but to be Santa Claus. These kind of things, I think, are a different order of existence of the, um, of the series than there were in the first, second and even third series. So do you feel that the personal disintegration of some of these characters mirrors something else? I mean, are we, are we really talking about... Um, a supremely confident America, um, the night of the 1960 election between uh, Kennedy and Nixon and famously a surprise victory, although, of course, all the madmen were rooting for Nixon. Indeed, they were paid to mm. um, organise his campaign and Kennedy was supposedly the outsider. In the five years we've seen, maybe what we're seeing is that actually things were starting to blow in the wind and that the whole thing that we now call the 60s, which hadn't actually quite got to them yet because they've still all got very short hair and wear um, what advertising men did not wear by the end of the 60s, I don't think, i.e. the suits and the skinny ties. And we're going to come to Nicola in a minute about the style. But um, is it is it all about something deeper happening? Well, yes, it is. But I'm not sure... You know, I have a problem with the disintegration of Don Draper. Firstly... I don't like him very much, and I know that shouldn't matter, but he's so utterly charmless and boorish. Women like him, I women think. Women like him, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Back me up, that. Nicola. Yeah, you're right, John. <laughs> definitely. Like is a, an understatement. But, but I have to say he's matched only by his ghastly wife in, in, in unlikability. He was also very beautiful, but, but vacuous and... And not that interesting. There were, there were times, certainly in Series 3, when I was actually getting very bored with these very loveless, awful exchanges. Um, but the other thing is, it's quite some time since we've seen Don Draper doing anything good at work. He just seems to blunder on in this sort of reactionary bubble. He doesn't move with the times. It doesn't surprise me that they were supporting Nixon in 1960. And here we are in, in 65, and you you don't really get an impression of this place, and it, and it is advertising people who are supposed to be right on the cutting edge, being very in tune with what's happening in the country, because by 65, 
a lot was happening. And um, you know, Peggy, who I find the most interesting character, actually, because of that, the, the arc of her development, um, in this series, again, behaving like a kind of 50s teenager about about sex and love. And, um, and you know, I was reminded the other day that uh, by 1965, John Lennon was singing... I once had a girl, or should I say she once had me. Um, there were women doing some um, fairly forward things already, and it just seems to me a little bit anachronistic. It just unsettles me. Well, it was a time when famously um, fashions were changing, I mean, visual fashions, and one of the things that Peter says in this piece, to which he's had a lot of reader response, is something about... Um, Mostly supportive. Oh, sorry. Yeah, mostly supportive. Um, Mad Men is a program that is primarily about fashion and the particular fashion that's being celebrated here, the skinny ties, the hourglass figures, and indeed the suicidal drink consumption, which he sees as being part of fashion. Um, Nicola, what's what's it kind of done for fashion? I mean, once again, do you think that the fashion is somehow deeply embedded in it so that the fashion is something a actually about the America of the time and not just the gloss on the programme? Well, in answer to your first question, it's had a huge influence on fashion, as I'm sure everybody has seen. Uh, Two of the key collections for autumn winter, the season that we're currently in, Prada and Louis Vuitton, have basically taken Joan Holloway and put her on the catwalk in these sort of quite voluminous 1950s shapes, great cinched waist, okay, huge so she's, she's, bosom. She's the big bosomy one. She's the big yeah. bosomy one, the flame-haired vixen. And, and okay, so bos- bosom's on the catwalk. Absolutely, okay. and this was yeah. quite strange because, as you know, fashion is full of very skinny women and particularly those models. But Mark Jacobs at Louis Vuitton for this particular show shipped in the likes of Elle McPherson, Lara Stone, the model of the moment, who are more buxom, more in that Joan Holloway vein. And in fact, somebody was telling me yesterday that any model that didn't fit into this dress and that didn't have some form of bosom was ejected. So, I mean, in fact, it's quite, it's quite good for fashion that, that these sort of more voluptuous girls are getting, are getting a show. And, you know, his was one of the most seminal collections of the season, and Prada as well. So... It's had a huge effect, and also on menswear. Don Draper was on the front cover of GQ the other day. I've, I've seen his poster on, on one of the sub-editor's desks as a kind of pin-up boy. And I think men kind of want to dress in that way. There's a sense of professionalism that's returning in terms of sort of male working attire. And he signifies and he epitomises that kind of sort of well-dressed suave elegance that men aspire to, to, to look like and women kind of adore. John, the return of the bosom. Discuss. <laughs> Glad you asked me about that. Uh, I, I feel want, that you I might want, wish to <laughs> add to that. I won't, as, uh, as I should not say, get into that. But, um, but although I think Joan, Joan is one of these many fascinating characters. I mean, she is, apart from her extraordinary shape, she's, she, like all the characters there, uh, you rarely find in British drama. She's veined with with good and bad. Uh, she's, uh, she's trying to save a rather bad marriage. Uh, she's often extremely supportive to colleagues. On the other hand, she can be really uh, bitchy and horrible to the secretaries who are below her. And when, in one episode, I think in the second series, she went to a party where one of the copywriters had a black girlfriend, and he, I think he, he was throwing the party, she was downright and straightforwardly racist. Which brings me back to... Peter's 
point about it being self-enclosed. I think it's right that it is self-enclosed. I mean, he is right, and it is right that it's self-enclosed, because what I think they're trying to do is to say, here's a world which was creating. Here was, the, here was Madison Avenue in its, in its first great phase of organized manipulation of reality. Uh, and Don Draper and the others were pioneers in this. And you, you, what it's very good at conveying is the way in which they didn't really need the outside world except for images. I mean, Don watches television and sees something on a kid's show or a film or something that he thinks that that can go into a, into a commercial. And what they're doing is showing how, at that time, um, greater and greater amounts of reality including politics, but certainly the commercial world, could be, literally in many cases, sexed up. Um, and that, I think, is important. It's, it's, it isn't, I think, a, a real objection to the, to the series that it doesn't do more civil rights. It doesn't do more about the Beatles. I think the Beatles are mentioned when Don asks the secretary, his secretary to buy a present for his kid because there's a new Beatles LP or single out or something. So things come in casually a little bit. But it's, it's the world is self-enclosed and, and we understand the world better and the importance of the world, because it became extremely important to us and remains very important to us, how reality is manipulated. Um, uh, you wouldn't get that from something which moved out of, continually out of the, the rather claustrophobic walls of the advertising agencies into the broader society. Broader society comes in in, in their perception of its usefulness to them as copywriters, as ad men, as mad men, not um, as something which has to be um, represented and commented upon. Yes, um, the outside world comes in quite obliquely, doesn't it? Yeah. There was one scene recently when they were doing this Lucky Strike campaign, which you mentioned, and they are having for the first time to accept restrictions on what they can do. So they can't have any teenagers smoking and they can't have any athletes smoking. So they decide that um, they're going to they're gonna use bowling because bowling is a sport, but it's not, but it's not athletic. <laughs> and also apparently you can't have people looking really, really good when they're smoking. <laughs> and we're still, we're still there. We're still nipping away at categories like yeah. that. Peter, what does it really kind of tell us about the America that we've all... I mean, we all grew up with this America. This is the America that came to us, really. This was the America that formed our dreams, our movies, our... Um, not not actually our pop records, because that was an earlier generation, because by then our pop records, thank goodness, were British, but... Yeah, yeah, well, the British invasion has already started. Yeah, the Beatles reference, I... It kind of quite irritated me because it was so cute, you know. It was just like, oh, we're so clever. We're not going to talk very much about the Beatles, You're but we're just. To dislike this. I, <laughs> I dislike that moment. Even I mean, the likable bits are dislikable. I happened to be in the U.S. Um, when the Beatles invasion started. I, I grew up there in the early 1960s, and let me tell you, when the Beatles arrived in the U.S., it was just everywhere. It was unbelievable. I just think it's a little bit self-indulgent, just to. Um, just to have one rather flip reference to it. Um, on the other hand, I see the problem. I mean, how can you... It would make it very clumsy. It would be very difficult to bring in the Martin Luther King Freedom March and to bring in Dylan. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard virtually no references to Dylan at all, and you would have thought cutting-edge madmen in the early 60s would know that there was 
something really quite profound going on. I guess that, that I guess, was that was a bit beatnik. I think it, I think they were very separate. But the, the, Don had early on. Remember, in the first series, Don had a lover. Indeed, the first yes. lover we see yes. is part of that milieu. I liked her. Uh, yeah, and they go to <laughs> and they go to um, a, a village cafe off the kind, which Dylan yes. may well have sung yes. in. And I can't remember actually a, a Dylan reference, but the world was referenced as exotic, but it showed how cool Don was, that he could move into that world, cope with it, and then move back to his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly true that the whole civil rights um, explosion of those five years we've seen, 60 to 65, it doesn't seem to have uh, affected them at all, just not mentioned. In one Um, case, no, in one case, uh, say the copywriter who had a black girlfriend mm. is... is, um, um, persuaded by her on pain of separation to go with her down to Alabama and go on a, on a, on a freedom march. And you see, yeah. it's just a glimpse of them on the bus yeah. with him still grumbling that he, you know, he'd rather be in the office. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, you know, putting some spite. But you don't see the freedom march. You don't see the, the, um, the consequences of it. You just see mm-hmm. them going. So mm-hmm. it is, as you say, it's oblique. And it mm-hmm. comes in, in little spurts here and there. Mm-hmm. As I think it... It might have done in that in any enclosed world. After all, these were probably Republican voting, um, uh, highly paid yeah, executives. They, yeah, they were. So, they would regard it, if not as something deviant, at least as something a bit. You know, it's not our world. Mm. Well, the South was a very long way away from yes. Madison Avenue. I mean, it wasn't cool I for guess, it to be I integrated. I guess what I'm saying is centrist. I'm I'm just a little bit impatient. You know, I I admire a lot of the subtlety of Madison, and God knows. We need it in television writing, and, and and as you say, compared to British dramatic television writing, it, it, it's streets mm-hmm. ahead of anything. But you know, I, it also brings me. It also um, makes me think of um, of John Updike's first two Rabbit books, uh, which take place, of course, in 1959 and 69, and the extraordinary difference in those two universes. And we're now with Mad Men about halfway between those between 59 so, and 69. Yeah, yeah. roughly. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just wonder whether when mm. when and how we're going to get to that very different moral universe mm. of the late sixties. Um, I look forward to it. Well, I think Don has got to grow his hair a little <laughs> bit over his ears because we've, we're out of time. We're going to have to wrap up. We'll just have one final word on the really important thing, which is the frocks. Um, Nicola, is it going to is it going to stay like this? I mean, are women going to be allowed to be more curvy because of? I think so. This season definitely. And look at somebody like. Roland Murray, who is famed for those really sort of sculpted, curvy dresses. The one that I can see in front of me that Joan Holloway was, was wearing, there is an exact spin-off of that dress in his collection this season. So yes, for the moment, and I have to say for the moment because fashion changes very, very quickly, hourglass is in. Well, that's something. Thank you all very much, Peter, John and Nicola. Thank you all very much for listening and join us again soon on the Arts Podcast. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.